0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by AT&T, I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, a clean tech company this week tries to live up to its old hype and why future trash collectors might be doing their pickups in space. But first, the incredible shrinking tech lash. It was just four months ago that President Trump was in this public spat with Amazon, accusing it of not paying enough taxes or high enough postage rates. And Amazon shares fell a lot on that, about 10% or $77 billion. That's kind of the same time Facebook was caught up in that privacy scandal involving Cambridge Analytica, which saw it lose $93 billion. Now, those are big chunks of change, even for super duper platinum cardholders like Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. And all of it played against this backdrop of what was being called the tech lab, Kind of a bipartisan agreement that Silicon Valley and Silicon Valley companies were growing way too powerful way too fast, controlling all parts of our lives without enough controls. In fact, even Democrats at one point made breaking up big tech a central campaign pledge. But all of that was then, just a few months ago. And this is now. Amazon and Facebook stock came roaring back, actually hitting record highs this week. And those so-called fang stocks, which is Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, they're almost single-handedly responsible for the overall stock markets being up this year. And now Trump did return today to his Amazon bashing via Twitter, but that seems to mostly be a reaction to something he read in the Bezos-owned Washington Post. And the markets aren't even taking it too seriously. Amazon was down just about 1% while I was talking. Moreover, the president tweeted last week that Google was a, quote, great American company after the European Union fined it $5 billion for anti-competitive behavior. So I'm pretty sure it goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And Congress, for its part, it followed up the Zuckerberg hearings by doing, well, I'm pretty sure they've done almost nothing at this point. So the bottom line here is that the tech lash may have been more bark than bite. In 30 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios executive editor, Mike Allen. But first, this.
1: Picture this, you're the CEO of a multinational corporation, and you realize that nearly half of your 254,000 employees, many of whom are your friends and neighbors, have jobs that will be obsolete by 2020. That's exactly what happened at AT AT&T a few years ago, and it's what inspired them to find a way forward with the biggest job reskilling investment in modern American history. Future Ready is AT&T's $1 billion web-based learning initiative designed to teach existing employees the skills necessary to compete in a software-driven world. Stick around, and we'll tell you how it's going. We're now joined by Axios
0: executive editor Mike Allen about the tech lash and its summer of disappearance, I guess. Hey, Mike, there's a lot of speculation that when Trump came into the White House, some of the administration, maybe him, kind of had these fever dreams of breaking up big tech companies like Facebook. Was that just something we on the outside thought, or was that actually happening on the inside in terms of sentiment?
2: No, Dan, they talked about it. They did fantasize about it. And by the way, congratulations on launch day. Thank you very much. And in pro rata style, uh, top of the morning, I wish I could do a audio gif for you to fit in with uh, pro rata. But Dan, from the very beginning, they thought this could be a way for us to attack a big power center in America. If you want to disrupt, what could there be something bigger to disrupt? And of course, the tech sector, as you have covered, has done something that almost nobody in American politics has been able to do. They've unified both sides in hating them. So on the left... You have people who are concerned about the concentration of power, of wealth. And on the right, you have people who see the big tech companies as social, political actors who want open borders. And that's why it's such a juicy target.
0: I'm curious, that second part on the right, and particularly the Trump right, is it because of the policies they push, as you say, uh, very pro-immigration, etc.? Or how much of it is simply the fact that Silicon Valley didn't vote for him and really almost in lockstep didn't vote for him?
2: Well, you can look at it that way. But the irony of it, of course, is that if anything, these platforms helped Trump, right? President Trump himself has said, I might not be here if it weren't for Twitter. The debate about how the Russians were manipulating Facebook is all about like how much it helped Trump. And so there's definitely irony in this, but conservatives say they would like to find some way to curtail the tech company. But the reason that this has been limited, as you said at the top, is that nobody knows how. They like to talk about it. They love the fever dream. But how you actually do it, even if you could get Washington to do anything, I ask them, like, what would be your dream for doing it? How do you break up one of these companies? No one has a good answer. So then does it
0: just become something that plays really well on the stump? It's one of these things that is almost a better issue to not resolve than resolve.
2: That's fun. They'd rather have the uh, issue than the solution. And what we've seen this fall is a lot, especially Republican candidates hanging their hat on this issue in a way that really worries some of the people in Washington. Like, a lot of the leaders in both parties want to maintain their ties with the tech companies. And so you had the senator from Virginia, Mark Warner, vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, as part of his Russia investigation, going after the tech companies, proposing new ways for them, new requirements for them on disclosing their political ads, but that's something that Facebook could embrace and did embrace. And so he was giving them a way out. And I think that's what we've heard a lot from these lawmakers is we can make this easy or we can make this hard. If you can work with us on some things, you may be able to take the air out of this bullet.
0: So I'm curious, do you believe, is there still, in D.C. at least, an actual tech lash? And when I say we, I mean media and even folks in Congress, because look, they dragged Zuckerberg up there admittedly about a specific topic. Was it a little bit overblown or is it still kind of a clear and danger. I guess what I'm asking is, if you're sitting in Silicon Valley, should you still be concerned about DC, particularly on on kind of the, the macro issue?
2: Yes, yes, and for sure. So, Dan, for sure, like everything's overblown, but here's how the tech clash is real and lasting. Just in the last year, we've started to look at these massive, powerful, successful, amazing, awesome companies in a new way. For as long as you and I have covered them, these companies were all regarded as our moonshot. Like, you and I spend a lot of time out in the valley. Like, I love being out there because they just talk about how they can solve things, right? They sort of assume... Oh, they're crazy optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. They sort of assume anything can be solved. Washington just assumes it can't be solved and doesn't even try. And so everybody loved the spirit, but it's been within the last year that we've been saying, wait a minute, what data do they have? Like, maybe I said yes, but... Did I know what I was saying yes to? And they're doing what with it? Wait, they don't know what? Wait, wait, wait. Who else has it? And those questions have just begun to be unpacked. And so there may be a respite here. But you talked to the companies, and Dan, I'm going to put you on the spot, but I suspect you're hearing the same thing, that everyone is bracing for the very long haul. No one Absolutely. is kidding themselves that they've dodged a bullet.
0: Maybe with the exception of Amazon, which seems to be able to take everything and it kind of flows off its back. So I'm curious, as I said at the top, Trump again today tweeted about Amazon. He talked about a Supreme Court case. He kind of overstated it a little bit, but he talked about postage rates and of course the Washington Post. I'm curious, do you believe for Trump Is the Amazon slash Bezos issue about Amazon and concern about concentration of power and retail power, or is it simply he's pissed at the post?
2: Oh, it's always personal with the president. We know that and how he deals with foreign leaders. And the way that Axios broke the story of President Trump's obsession with Amazon was our great White House reporter Jonathan Swan was checking around to see what the president was saying about Facebook. And again and again, people said to him, well, he hasn't really said anything about Facebook, but Amazon, he's obsessed with it. He hates Amazon. He talks all the time about breaking up Amazon. And we just see the tweet today where he says the Amazon Washington Post is one of those little Trump coinages. Even though
0: Amazon doesn't actually own the Washington Post.
2: Of course, the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos. The Amazon Washington Post has gone crazy against me ever since they launched the internet tax case. So we're told that privately he keeps talking about it. The Washington Post had a remarkable story saying that he had privately been pushing the U.S. Postal Service to make changes that would hurt Amazon. So this is absolutely something that is stuck in his craw, my grandmother would say. And it's not something that he is going to move off from easily. Thank you to Mike Allen, executive editor of Axios.
0: And I guess maybe the bottom line here is what Amazon needs to do is get sued by the European Union. Then Trump will like him, just like he does Google now. My final two is coming up in 30 seconds.
1: Okay. Here's where AT&T's Future Ready program stands. Around 140,000 employees are currently retraining for jobs of the future. People like Jim, a grandfather of five, are learning competitive skills like Scrum, Now, more than half of AT&T's technology management jobs are filled by retrained employees. It matters because 90% of maturing companies expect digital disruption, but less than half of them are preparing for it. AT&T is different. With one of the largest workforces in the world, AT&T wants the best in people, not machines or algorithms, to lead the way.
0: And now it's time for my final two. And the first up is Bloom Energy, a fuel cell maker that plans to have an IPO this week. Now, the company itself is a little bit interesting, if only because it was hyped on 60 Minutes a full eight years ago, and because some of its early success was arguably tied to government subsidies. But the reason I'm interested is that its IPO filings lately have peeled back a few more layers of a very old financial scandal. And it kind of went like this. Bloom hired a group in Chicago to help it raise money from little old ladies and dentists. Then those guys in Chicago kind of sort of directed their sales. People to lie to those little old ladies and dentists, and federal regulators got involved, nailed them for it, ultimately sending them out of business. Now, Bloom wasn't implicated in any of this, but fast forward to its IPO filings now, and it turns out that Bloom, very quietly, back in 2014, gave those guys a lot of stock, and it doesn't explain why. And when I asked the company about it, they wouldn't comment, citing SEC restrictions. Now, There was a new filing just the other day that says the guys from Chicago believe the original disclosure of their payments in itself was illegal, which means Bloom now has liability risk. It should be very interesting to see how investors parse all of this out or if Bloom, which has been highly criticized over the years for delivering less than it promises, can explain itself before the IPO. And finally, space trash collectors. Now this isn't a job today. But it might be in the not-too-distant future. That's something I heard last week from Dan Hart, CEO of Virgin Orbit, who was speaking at a tech conference in Aspen. He and a fellow panelist were talking about how we can now send so many more items into space, particularly little ones, because electronics have gotten smaller. Just think about your phone. And propulsion systems for rockets have also gotten smaller. For example, lots of companies, including SpaceX, are currently working on what they call low-orbit satellite constellations, or tons and tons of little satellites which will circle the Earth and give us all Wi-Fi connections. But what it means is that when more and more stuff gets shot into space, those things will eventually die or outlive their usefulness. Now, one option is to have them basically shoot themselves further into space. Some of them could just kind of burn up in the atmosphere, but a lot of them are just going to sit there. And if we want to send more things up, we got to remove the stuff that's already there. That's where we enter the space junk collectors. Again, not a job today, but it will be. And from what I know about space, it won't smell nearly as bad as current trash collection does. And we're done. First, a big shout out to Merriam-Webster, which made ProRata the word of the day. So check that out at merriam-webster.com backslash word of the day. And be sure to follow us all day at axios.com and sign up for my ProRata email newsletter at signup.axios.com. Have a great National Vanilla Ice Cream Day and we'll be back tomorrow with another podcast.